Hello and welcome to Hot Air Diviners, an enchanting podcast where casual conversation blends into cosmic wisdom. Join me, Natasha, your dedicated card slinger, and me, Lauren, the cosmic queen of chaos, on a long-winded journey, where we'll be exploring the intersection of tarot, astrology, and beyond. Hey, Lauren. Hi, Natasha. <laughs> How are you today? Uh, I'm doing doing all right. Getting the feeling back in my face. So that's <laughs> always a plus. I had a uh, feeling this morning. Nice trip to the dentist office. I'm impressed. If it was me, I definitely would have bagged off for another day. <laughs> for recording. <laughs> but I have, I have a hard time making words when my mouth is not numb. So... Yeah, I get that. Did you hear that sound? Yeah, it was your mouth. <laughs> no. <laughs> it was like a dong. You didn't hear that? It oh. just came through on my side. No, that means it might have been <laughs> me, like one of my cords bumping my mic stand or something. Are you sure you don't have a gong underneath your desk? I mean, I do have like a space heater, but it's not on. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyways. Before we uh, jump into things, I want to hear what it was like to be a clown for two days. It was hot and sweaty. (laughs) 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 So it was like in the 90s, um, which it was inside. The convention was inside, but still just like that many bodies in one space with the the heat outside. It it was... was, uh, quite humid and moist i know people hate that word but that's what it was (laughs) yeah but it was fine though it was a great time scared lots of people nice just basically just goofed off and played around (laughs) i kept getting warned by people that had been to this convention before that there's a group of like really hateful clowns and to like just like kind of keep an eye out for them and kind of keep distance because they like try and pick a fight with you i didn't run into that though and i'm thankfully because that would have been something for sure and i was like (laughs) it's so weird yeah it is it is weird i'm like i just thought to myself well i mean these people if i do run into these angry clowns somewhere i they can say whatever they want to me i am not getting into a fight because um this will not be my mug shot you know like full clown (laughs) oh come on it's the only mugshot that you should you should want i don't know it's like it's perfect nobody will even know it's you they'll just be like weird there's this clown with your name yeah Yeah, like these people could talk like mad shit about my mom um and i'm just gonna like keep moving (laughs) i I love the i love the priorities it's like just don't want a clown mugshot Listen, no, I was not built for gel either, okay? They don't have, like, conditioner, and I need conditioner and moisturizer. I have dry skin. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Or maybe it's only air conditioner. It's just freezing the whole time. (laughs) Yeah, I don't don't know. I don't want to find out. So, but yeah, that's how it went. It was great. I scared, like I said, lots of people. How was your weekend? Um... (laughs) 
my husband and I decided that we were going to go paddleboard on a river. And it was interesting. We have, (laughs) (laughs) we bought the cheapest paddleboards possible when we moved here in 2020. Uh And so, and they've held up fine or whatever. um, But they have fixed fins on the bottom. Like you can't remove them. A lot of the nicer paddle boards will have fins that you can like put on or take off depending on where you're paddling. And ours came with like little seats that like clip on and they have like foot pegs in the front so you can sit on it like a kayak and paddle. And so that's that's the setup we we took. We just took our kayak paddles, not our like stand up paddles or whatever. Mm-hmm. But we <laughs> the river was the Hiwassee and we picked a section that was like described as fun for family outings and stuff. And, you know, mm-hmm. like class two rapids. And it's like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but if your board has fixed fins on it, every time you hit a rapid, you just get stuck on the rocks. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was uh, an adventure. It turned into just like trying to scoot forward as far as possible on my board so that like the back of it would lift a little bit easier. But it's just me like like trying to like dry up this board to get the back end <laughs> to bump over the rocks. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, That's it was funny. It was yeah, it was interesting. My husband got like stuck was... under another boat and lost his shoes. <laughs> Not. <laughs> If I would have seen you dry humping the battle board, I would have definitely laughed at you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I would have deserved it. It was ridiculous looking. I have like bruises on the inside of my thighs just from like hitting the foot pegs at the, the front. Because like uh-huh. it's class two rapid, so it's not like crazy or anything. But the water is still moving fast. Like it's yeah. rapid. So <laughs> it's like you're like stuck and trying not to get turned sideways and like flip over and things. And it's just and it's, like there's so boats everywhere because it was beautiful sunny day and like literally any any floatable device would have been better that day other than the ones that we brought with us because <laughs> like people were doing it in inner tubes you know so it's not like insane or crazy dangerous or anything like that and we had our life jackets yeah. on but it, it was just a little ridiculous it was like well that was that was a lot more effort than it should have been <laughs> <laughs> but we survived the second half of it, the water got a little deeper and it was actually kind of fun. So we'll go back with inner tubes sometime. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you live, you learn. Mercury Maybe. Retrograde. <laughs> yeah. Like we're notorious for um, doing things like that and just like halfway planning a thing and showing up and be like, ooh, not almost prepared. <laughs> Not quite, though. Not quite. It makes for better stories, though, is what my husband says. It it definitely does. Yeah. So so I really don't know what you're talking about today. You started to tell me, and I was like, oh, I want to be surprised, so just surprise me. What are you talking about today? Today, I'm going to do kind of a book review. I have with me the history of tarot art demystifying the art and arcana deck by deck and it is this big beautiful book hardbound um it's kind of like a coffee table display book this is not like a cheap paperback type book yeah it looks Um, chunky 
It is. It's huge. I want to say it's like probably 12 by 12 inches. Mm-hmm. Um, quite quite large. Big full color illustrations though throughout. It's super neat. The authors are Holly Adams Easley and Esther Joy Archer. And they are the co-host of the Wildly Tarot podcast, which is a really cool podcast. Um, if you would like to listen to more tarot content, they they are a joy. They're currently on like summer break, so there aren't new episodes. But they have a ton of backlog stuff to go through. And I'll have to like dig around and find the episodes where they like talk specifically about their process in writing this book. But yes, that is what I'm talking about today. It's gorgeous. Um, and I feel like it doesn't get enough love on social media, um, when people talk about like tarot content and stuff. So I'm super excited about it. That sounds exciting. Will we be able to share like maybe some pictures from the book? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's a huge book, so there's tons of stuff in there. I will definitely take some photos and like post them on our Instagram after this. Um, maybe some of my favorite, oops bumping the mic stand uh maybe some of my favorite chapter cover pages and things like that um yeah it's really neat it even came with like a a tear out sheet in the back of cardstock for uh the major arcana from the solabusca deck which is like a really like one of the older um illustrated tarot decks from like the medieval times or whatever uh yeah, and like little envelopes in like the back of the cover to store them in. So that's really cool. It's kind of like a really fun textbook, almost. <laughs> but yeah, like here are the cards from the back. Oh, that's that's very pretty. Yeah, we'll definitely have to share some of that. Yeah. And then you're going to finish up the houses today. Yes, I am. I am excited to get through it <laughs> and, and move on to another topic. It's not that it's a boring topic, but, um, you know, just move on to something new and exciting. Yeah, it's definitely, it's a hefty topic. It is a hefty topic. Mm-hmm. All right. Should we just dive in? I mean, it's the only way to do it, right? (laughs) All right. So, like I just said, I'm talking about the history of tarot art by Holly Adams Easley and Esther Joy Archer. It's a big, beautiful book. And basically what it's about is an overview of the general history of tarot. And then it just goes into kind of like a deep dive of tarot art throughout time. And so they start with like the really early stuff when they're talking about history and like where we get some of the first decks from and how they start out just as regular playing card games. Um, Mm -hmm. And then like the some of the earliest examples of like big, beautiful illustrations on decks are actually like commissioned artworks for some of the like rich families in Italy. But then it moves all the way through time. So it kind of talks about where it starts as like a game and Mm -hmm. how it transitions into being used for divination and talks about the period of time where it was like, oh, it kind of like first got popular as that and then basically disappeared for a while. And then there was this big tarot 
renaissance in like the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. basically and that's where you get things like the morgan greer and the aquarian tarot and they do i think there's a chapter on both of those decks specifically and then yeah, it I- just like keeps going through to like contemporary uh decks including like a, several that i have um and talks about how we're currently in like another renaissance of like tarot just becoming really popular and there being like lots mm-hmm. of new new decks and new interpretations and different things out there right now um, yeah it's interesting the resurgence of popularity in tarot also kind of um aligns with the resurgence of popularity of astrology yeah in both the 60s and 70s as well as you know current times yeah, I think they've definitely, like, walked hand in hand at various mm-hmm. points throughout history. Like, obviously, astrology is the, the much older one. Um, but since tarot has been, like, a a thing for divination, it has always very much included nods to astrology, I think. Yeah, for sure. I want to know about the game. Like, can you tell me a little bit more about the game, how it started out as a game? Like, what, what kind of... I mean, I don't need the rules and how to play it exactly, but just a general synopsis of. <laughs> it's got a lot of rules. I looked it up once because there are some people who still play tarot as a game. I think um, I think the Marseille deck, the Tarot de Marseille, is the one that is most used today still. Um, that's, a, that's like Italian, right? French, I is think. It, okay. I think they still play in I, France. Um, that sounds better, actually. I was just throwing that out there because I thought I was. Yeah, I mean, I close enough. <laughs> it's it started in it started in Italy, um, but as far as like, and this is not coming from the book necessarily. Like this is coming from like a Wikipedia thing I read a long mm-hmm. time ago that apparently there is still like a group of folks in France who still just play tarot as a game, uh, <clears throat> and I uh, flipped through the deck so that I could talk about it or not the deck, um, the book today, but I have not, it's been a minute since I read it cover to cover. So there are details, um, that my brain has, has lost in the meantime. Um, but yeah, they don't really like talk about the rules to the game. Just kind of mention that that is how it started. Basically it was just a card game and I'll have to Google that just yeah for fun for my inquisitive mind yeah i remember the last time i looked it up being like overwhelmed by like how many rules there were oh yeah (laughs) but um yeah i'd probably mm -hmm. but probably google that and say never mind yeah (laughs) but i don't know sometimes just like reading card game rules can feel like that and it's like oh somebody who actually knew how to play just like explained it it would probably be easier to understand yeah Um, but no, uh, lost my train of thought here for a second. Um, Sorry. No, <laughs> no, you're good. Uh, but yeah, in a nutshell, that's essentially what the book is. It's sorry. Oh goodness, my voice. Um, but yeah, it's it's cool because like. Pretty much each chapter is devoted to a specific deck, and they talk about the history of the deck, like what was going on at the time that the deck was being created, 
and how that kind of stuff influenced the authors or and the artist and yeah it it's really interesting if you flip through the book it progressively like it starts with the earliest examples moves all the way through contemporary tarot and then in the back you have this cool like pull out timeline which is just let's see if i can find it and show it to you here we go it also has like cheat sheets in the back with keywords for what all of the cards mean this is like impossible to read on on this camera but then it flips out and then there's like this big glorious timeline and i don't know about other people but i love books with big flip out things because it makes me feel like a child again um, pop-up book <laughs> yeah it's like a grown-up pop-up book um but yeah it's cool it's like a a little summary of tarot and so like the very first entry on the timeline is late 1300s playing cards in the mamluk style are introduced in europe i'm for sure pronouncing that wrong most documentation comes from local legislation and ordinances about gambling uh Let's see, we have 1909, uh, Waite and Pamela Coleman-Smith published the Rider-Waite-Smith tarot deck, and then all the way up to like... A big deal. Yeah, (laughs) that was was a big moment. Uh, And then 2012, The Wild Unknown Tarot is published. 2021, the original Rider-Waite-Smith deck enters the public domain yeah and that's kind of that's where it ends um but yeah it's just super cool and like i said there's like the whole major arcana uh cards that came with it that you can keep in the back um a little appendix on how to read tarot which is just kind of like really basic for anyone who's maybe just unfamiliar Mm -hmm. uh with tarot and perhaps pick this book up as more of an academic guide Uh, yeah but it seems like it's a good starter book for somebody um who has an interest in tarot or even not just a starter because like i know a bit about tarot i was not an expert by any means but i feel like there's even something you know things in there that i could glean from from it a lot about the history and things that i don't i don't know i love history yeah, it's really cool because, like, a lot of our exposure to tarot, it comes from, I think, like, pop culture or meeting some random Wiccan lady who's like, tarot, <laughs> you know, uh, and you just kind of, like, absorb things through that. And then if you are, like, interested into it, in it, uh, I know for me at least, like, you kind of just t- jump into learning about tarot as it currently exists and like ooh, how do I interpret these cards and how do I like make a spread and and things like that and there tends to be a lot less focus just in the tarot community in general on talking about the history of tarot and where it comes from Mm -hmm. and that's one of the things that like I love about this book that they are the authors make a very specific point of doing is talking about the literal actual history of like where this stuff comes from and how we ended up with it because what you'll find a lot of times are these just like weird they refer to it as fake lore which Mm -hmm. i think is the perfect word for it um 
people will just be like the mysterious origins of tarot and you know communicated from like weird egyptian gods or something like that and it's like well actually that's just a bunch of bullshit and (laughs) we have historical documents you know for where this stuff comes from and of course there's always certain like details that get lost over time Mm -hmm. uh but we know that it came from italy as a card game way before it was a divination method uh and acknowledging like the real facts of where stuff comes from doesn't take anything away from the tarot you know what i mean it doesn't make it any less like cool or change the way you necessarily have to use it you can still do whatever you want with it um but you don't have to make up like a big mysterious story (laughs) about where Mm -hmm. it came from in order for it to be like a really awesome tool so that's nice And like most most things that end up being considered magical, like almost all of it starts out as like random mundane stuff mm-hmm. that someone then repurposes into like a magical system of belief or a tool or a practical thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes we just like to say that things are, are ancient and mysterious and feel like that lends it credibility but it's not required yeah. Um, yeah yeah do you know where the fundamentals and basis of astrology come from Ast- no. astronomy i don't know <laughs> <laughs> like just looking at the stars <laughs> no so there was this dude uh way back way back when um long long time ago and his name was hermes trismegistus and <laughs> what he, a name yeah he tripped balls and um, went on this journey, this trip. And uh, when he came back, he had um, the fundamentals are of, of astrology that were told. He said were told to him by God or whomever he spoke to. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. And that's how astrology got its its start. Sounds really familiar. <laughs> I feel like I've heard a few stories like that. Um, <laughs> and when, yeah, when I say like way back, um, I, he's one of the he's one of the found or the founder of, of, of astrology, and he's quoted a lot in the um, earliest astrological text. But there aren't any actual that I remember surviving text of his um, from astrology. It's just people quoting. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so we really don't know exactly, or maybe somebody does, and I just don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I just haven't found it yet. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's a lot of information when it comes to astrology. So um, the historical stuff, like it's in there, but it's not quite like ironed out and and, and straightened up. I don't know it all exactly. <laughs> yeah. Plus, I mean, they're still like finding new text and translating stuff mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting something like Chris Brennan mm-hmm. talks about on the astrology podcast a lot mm-hmm. um, okay sorry I made some notes about what I was going to talk about when I talked about this book and then I've spent this morning being very easily distracted <laughs> um, but yeah doing, last you're doing my job I'm, you just did, yeah. you did the sound <laughs> I'm like ah okay um, um brain brain is trying to connect the dots 
let's see. Last couple of points. Uh, aside from just being gorgeous, there's so much information in this book. And I love the way it's presented because it's very much like you have all this information, like an academic textbook, but the way they write is extremely approachable. Like it's not endless jargon in gibberish that's hard to understand it's very easy to read uh for anyone as long as you know english obviously it's written in english um but <laughs> yeah it's it's meant to be easy to approach and that really comes through uh, they also they talk about like one of my favorite chapters in this book is the one where they talk about the thoth deck which was the name that is most associated with the Thoth deck is Aleister Crowley, who mm-hmm. uh, was kind of an asshole. Not kind of. He was, he was an asshole. He was a complicated dude, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he sure was. Um, and I know this is, I think, they've mentioned on their podcast, like one of their favorite chapters to write to because they had a lot of complicated feelings about Crowley. But in their research what they discovered was a bunch of really interesting information about the artist the woman who actually illustrated the cards who mostly goes by lady frida but also before making the thoth deck had like gained a little bit of notoriety for publishing like poetry and children's book under a pen name and do you know what that pen name was (laughs) I want to know. Jesus Chutney. <laughs> <laughs> what a character. Um, Not me going to Google her children's books. Yeah, I have no idea what's in the children's books. Um, they, they definitely focused on the card illustrations for this one. But yeah, it was a very interesting chapter. They talk about um, their relationship and their individual influences on what the the fourth deck ended up becoming and it didn't really like the fourth deck didn't experience like a major publishing effort until after both of them had died so it took took a little bit for it to really kick off um but it's really interesting because in addition to just like lots of fascinating facts and little stories about the creation of that deck I like the way they approach these complicated characters and kind of provide a lot of context for what was going on at the time and with these individuals and yeah, I don't know just how to approach a deck. Cause as a conversation that like we're still having broadly as a society about art in general and also in the tarot community about like, what do you do with, um, how how far do you separate art and artist, particularly if you find the artists themselves to be problematic in some way? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like they, they just do a really good job of contextualizing all of that and not shying away from the unpleasant facts when they exist, but also, I don't know, not doing this like weird virtue signaling thing that we seem to see on social media a lot, uh, recognizing that art that problematic artists can create art that still has a really important influence on something. Mm-hmm. And so I really appreciate that nuance because the, the Thoth deck is the most well-known, but um, there's a few different decks that they cover th- 
throughout the book that have some some really interesting uh, opportunities for commentary, <laughs> I guess mm-hmm. you could say. Um, and one last thing, because like they go through all these different decks in each chapter and they end each chapter with a like if you liked this deck then you might also like this other deck which is cool so you just get lots of different recommendations and exposure to tons of different decks that maybe you didn't know about and yeah and it's cool because like this book is huge and so there are pictures like all throughout you get to see the pictures of the deck and um compared to like photographs and things yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes deck picks are definitely the superior d picks (laughs) um (laughs) yeah (laughs) but hey it's tarot so you might find a few of the other ones too oh Um, yeah for sure (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's it's fun just like let's see i'm gonna look at the table of contents really quick and just give you kind of like a rundown of some of what they cover so like the early decks you have the Visconti, Solobuska, Tarot de Marseille, Rider Waite Smith and the Thoth and then you hit like the wonderful Flower Child era and you have the Aquarian, Morgan Greer, Mother Peace, Cosmic and then you have like Druidcraft which I think I really want that deck I don't have it but it looks beautiful um deviant moon which i don't know if you've ever seen the images from that one but it's super weird and creepy uh kind of unsettling but it's interesting it's interesting and yeah obviously because that's what the book does they go into a lot of the like background of that and then the wild unknown which is what they really consider kind of the kicking off point for the contemporary like renaissance of decks that we're experiencing now where you can you find a dozen kickstarter for tarot decks pretty much Mm -hmm. at any given time and yeah and then they have just like a whole section where they kind of quickly run through uh a lot of popular contemporary tarot decks including like the antique anatomy deck and the fifth spirit tarot deck which was published like i gosh while they were writing this book i think um and is one of my favorite decks that i own as well right now Uh, so yeah it is really cool i want a deck with cats Ooh, there are several cat decks i don't know yeah i know i can't have ever been able to decide like you know (laughs) which one is the right one for me so but one day i'll figure it out i'll have one (laughs) yeah maybe i don't know i'm pretty basic when it comes to terror decks i have like I have like a handful of tarot decks and I mainly just go to two of them. Yeah. I've been, I, I love tarot, obviously. Um, that's what I talk about on here all the time, but I've also been like thinking about thinning out my deck collection recently. Sorry. I suddenly have the hiccups for no reason, but yeah, just cause it's like, I've got a, a handful, like maybe four or five decks. So it's like, Ooh, these are the ones I use kind of all of the time. And then mm-hmm. a bunch that I like pull out every now and then when I feel guilty. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe I should make some new shelf space, but we'll see. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like books. They're just hard to let go of. <laughs> yeah. There's a, um, 
there's a shop on Etsy that buys used, um, gently used tarot decks. Maybe you could look at look into them. Get you store mm. credit. Get try out something different. Yeah, that might be nice. There's a few different like Facebook groups too that are like buy sell trade kind of thing. So yeah. So just a, a side note, we were you're talking about the um, uh, writer or the illustrator who did the Thoth deck um, and her, her pen name, Jesus yeah. Chutney. Jesus I tried Chutney. to look, I tried to look up, I Googled Jesus Chutney children's book and all I got was just regular Jesus books. So. Oh no. How disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I think they had to dig pretty deep in the references to like find all the information about Lady yeah. Frida. Might, might have better like just Googling like Lady Frida children's books or maybe yeah. i'm like remembering the children's books part wrong but i'm pretty sure it was esoteric poetry and children's books <laughs> hmm. i'm just trying to imagine picking up any book where the author's name is listed as jesus chutney and <laughs> thinking i'll pay money for this. <laughs> but yeah oh that's funny yeah it's hilarious makes me just want to invent a ridiculous pen name but it's too you late should. you should you have any ideas in mind not off the top of my head these are the kinds of things that are easier to come up with after a couple glasses of wine <laughs> you should do it like you should do it like the um how they do the the porn star name oh gosh what your the name of your first pet in the street you lived on when you were a child oh man that's your, that's your pen name what is it natasha oh it wouldn't be very good because like the earliest address i can remember it would be like uh Nugget State Route Forty Five South. <laughs> you're yeah. gonna love. You're gonna love mine. Do you want to hear mine? Yeah. <laughs> so my first. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'll just say it. Uh, fat Cat Garrison. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds more like a mobster name. <laughs> it sounds more like a porn star name for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh! Yeah, <sighs> my first cat. His name was Fat Cat. <laughs> <laughs> Bless him. I think my sister also had a cat named Cat. Mm-hmm. I think she wanted to name him Dog, and my dad was like, "That's dumb. No." <laughs> so she's like, "Fine. His name is Cat then." <laughs> <sighs> oh. But anyways, that was uh, my rambly review of the history of tarot art, which I swear is much better than I made it sound. Definitely go check it out. I will have links in the show notes for where to find the book and where to find the authors. Um, Yeah. Five sparkly stars. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I guess that means it's my turn. Yeah. Educate me. All right, Lauren's Lauren's ready to hit us with the knowledge. I am. I am. <laughs> uh, so the houses, we covered uh, the first, the seventh, the second, the eighth, the third, and the ninth in the previous episode. So if you want to hear about those houses in astrology, then you can go back to that episode and listen to those. I guess we'll just, just start off with a general 
recap of the houses. So the zodiac wheel itself is a 360 degree circle and it's divided into 12 equal parts each or uh, 30 degrees each and each 30 degree section of the chart makes up the houses. So there are 12. I think that's a good enough summary. If you want to hear about a little bit about the history and all that, like I said, go back to the first episode where I talk a little bit more about that. I think it was episode 15. Yeah. Yeah. We're just going to dive in. We're covering the fourth house where I'm starting. And so, sorry, the fourth house is an angular house and the positions of angular houses in the wheel are directly correlated with their significations. So being at the bottom is the place where we spring forth from like a seed grows up from the earth. That is why the fourth house is the house of home, family, property, ancestral lineage, and parents. Primarily the father, but both, you know, mother and father, can be seen in this house. This house can also speak to the parts of us that we keep private or hidden away from public view. Because this is an angular house, having planets in the fourth house can act as sort of an, an anchor for the chart and will have a significant influence on your life. The fourth house squares the first house, and squares are significant aspects. Squares and trines are squares are a little bit more difficult. Trines are a little bit more uh, benefic or easier, I would say. So, all the angular houses, if you have planets there, they're significant. Having benefic planets like Jupiter or Venus here could signify positive influences and relationships. Uh, with your family of origin, whereas malefics could point to a strained or difficult relationship with family. If you have no planets in the fourth house, you look to the ruler of the fourth house and its position in the chart. So I'll use my chart, I guess, as an example, because I have a packed fourth house. So, And of course, I'm most familiar with my chart. My fourth house is Sagittarius, and I have Saturn, Mars, the Moon, and Uranus. So, like I said, it's pretty heavy, packed fourth house, especially with the malefics there. So you might think having malefics there, maybe that I had a, a difficult childhood, but actually I didn't. However, the ruler of my fourth house is Jupiter in Pisces. So Jupiter is in domicile there. Jupiter is in a good position. And from the seventh house is squaring those fourth house planets. So they're they're answering to a very benefic, well-placed Jupiter. So that does lessen some of the severity of the malefics in my fourth house. But how I guess this has shown up for me with Jupiter in the seventh ruling uh, the fourth in the, house, the seventh house being the house of marriage. I've lived in different states away from my family of origin. And the place I currently live is where my partner grew up and his family lives. It has been difficult for me living so far away from my family and my friends. And I really did have struggle, you know, at times, especially with loneliness and isolation, being far away and also living like in a really rural place here. Yeah. But like I said, Jupiter being a benefic planet, I think it's also imparted some benefits like moving away from your home or you know and your family or for me anyways it allowed me to kind of change and grow and experience the world and myself in ways that I might not have had I been kind of left to the comforts of, of home yeah that's interesting very long lengthy explanation there <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. I'm looking at mine and I don't have any like major planets or anything in there, but my fourth house is ruled by Cancer, I believe. Mm -hmm. And my Chiron is there. <laughs> and I yeah. would describe my childhood as challenging. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know if that's what that would normally indicate, but. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. And then I have this thing that looks like a upside down horseshoe. I think it might be my south node. South node. Mm -hmm. That's another complicated one as well. Um, your IC is probably there also. Correct. I don't see it in this, like, I don't know, this particular app that I'm using for my, to generate my chart. But yeah, probably. Because that's how that works. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you also have the IC there, which is a very sensitive point as well. So, yeah, it's it's the fourth house is uh, very family related. But like I said, it, it can also um, relate to, you know, where you live and the your, your own home and property and transits to the fourth house. You know, you might have something happening you know, with with your home. Maybe you're doing renovations. Maybe you're deciding to sell your home or buy a new home or even like uh, difficult things with the fourth house is damage like to your home somehow like maybe a storm comes through and a tree falls on your roof and uh, <laughs> so you can see very mundane things like that related to home and property as well as relationships you know to your family of origin and and kind of can glean a little bit from your your own life and experiences by looking at the fourth house, maybe what planets are in it, or if it's if it's empty, looking at where those planets are in your chart and what signs they're in and give you a little bit more insight. Interesting. So moving on from the fourth house, we're going to go straight across the zodiac wheel to the 10th house. And the 10th house is at the peak or the top of the chart so opposite the bottom of the chart actually i want to go back for a second <laughs> <laughs> one more thing on the fourth house about it being the subterranean and being um a little bit of a like the lowest point kind of a hidden place it also signifies the things that we keep secret and sacred to ourselves as well it's not um it's not like the eighth house where we don't have um, control over or a direct access to these are just uh, maybe things that you don't share openly things that you keep to yourself um, and things people wouldn't necessarily know about you without really getting to know you it's like the basement of your chart and you yeah. control the door so <laughs> people yeah. don't see it unless you let them in exactly exactly so now, again, moving on to the 10th <laughs> house, it is the peak of the chart, it's the top of the chart, it is the most visible house in the chart. So things here are not as easily hidden, um, like you can, like Josh said, hide things in, in the basement or the fourth house. <laughs> this is that big picture window in your living room. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, this house represents our careers, reputation, and public interest and it can also represent the our, our mothers in the chart so if the 
like I said, if the fourth house is the family and the lineage we are born out of, then the tenth house opposite to that is the person that we become and how we are seen in the world. Like the fourth house, the tenth house is also angular, so planets and placements in this house speak loudly and are more seen, like, kind of like they have a spotlight on them. There's, you know, no hiding. Having planets in the tenth house will um, indicate something about your career or how you are seen. Many celebrity celebrities and public figures have significant placements in the tenth house as well. But having planets here doesn't automatically guarantee, you know, fame and fortune, all that. Uh, <laughs> for example, Natasha, you I, have Mercury yeah, in the tenth house, a Capricorn, uh huh, as well as Saturn, and I think Neptune. Yep. Also, and Uranus, and ah, mm -hmm. yeah, obviously, like my midheaven and North Node are up there. Mm -hmm. Yeah some asteroid stuff <laughs> yeah so do you mind if i use you as a little bit of an example we no, won't get go into for it all the all the details <laughs> but for me i can really see your mercury coming through in your 10th house with the writing and the podcasting uh but also you know your business of making the the divination tools mercury is a very divinatory planet in itself because divination is just kind of a, a different form of communication oh interesting never mm -hmm. thought about it that way and having it you know in the sign of capricorn of course you know you made you made a pretty successful business out of it making pendulum boards and tarot card stands that help people better communicate with themselves or guides spirits or you know however however they want to use those things but it's very capricornian saturnian and mercurial all at the same time oh that's interesting and, it, and it's something you're known for because <laughs> it's you know <laughs> yeah it's interesting that part is definitely like outward facing mm -hmm. it's always funny to me because i have all these other things like this podcast and like trying to write and stuff and also it's this constant pull between wanting to share and be seen in the world and constantly like being terrified to do so mm -hmm. uh something i've definitely been working through a lot lately and will continue to do forever i guess but it's just interesting to like see that that cluster of stuff up there in what is supposed to be the super visible uh part you know mm -hmm. of of the chart slash of my of my life or whatever that's kind of hard to hide and um yeah, I don't know. I feel like I've just been, it's a pull to like do the things, but also very resistant to it. <laughs> it's hard, hard to lean in for whatever reason. Um, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, you have, you have a pretty well placed Saturn, but Saturn doesn't ever make things easy. <laughs> yeah. The, the planet Saturn wants you to learn and grow and really embrace the life lessons. So it's not like Jupiter, like, here, have this abundance. Uh, <laughs> no, Saturn's like, you've got to work for it. I'm, I'm working, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, I mean, that pretty much, for the most part, sums up the 10th house. And we're going to bounce back over, since we started with the 4th, to the 5th house. Uh, the 5th house is a fun house. It I mean, literally, 
if a house in the natal chart were to be called the fun house, it would be the <laughs> fifth house um, because it is the place of good fortune. It is the house where Venus has her joy and it's associated with sex, creativity, pleasure, joy, and children. So the fifth house coming away from the fourth is symbolic of how we grow up and create our own families, but not everyone can have children or want to have children. So it's not all about children. Uh, but that's where I'm going to start because sex and pleasure are the main themes here. And that's another reason why children are signified in the fifth house. Although there are many ways to have children that don't involve sex, such as adoption, of course. But you'll see with the fifth house placements can tell you a little bit if you're someone who wants to have children or doesn't want to have children. You may be able to look and see um, if you have planets or placements in the chart could have some indication about that. Uh, transits to the fifth house as well as fifth house perfection years can indicate um, pregnancy and children. So just something, something to note if you are someone who does want children. Uh, having an empty fifth house does not mean that you will not have children, though. So we're just going <laughs> to look to the um, ruler of the fifth house and where it is placed in the chart. So an example of somebody of a fifth, or actually there are two really good examples I like to use um, for fifth house people. And those are Walt Disney and Judy Bloom. They both have packed fifth houses. Um, I'm sure everybody knows who Walt Disney is, of course. His fifth house is Capricorn. So he has Mars, Saturn, Jupiter, and Venus. So he has both malefics and both benefics there. And um, regardless of whatever you might think about him, he's, you know, looking back, maybe a little problematic. <laughs> kind of like you were talking about separating the art from the, the artist. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yep, but he's definitely someone who is synonymous with children. I mean, Disney World, for example, it's what the happiest place on earth is what it's, you know, the, the yeah. theme for Disney World. And it's very, very much an excellent example of somebody with a, you know, with a fifth house packed like that. Um, yeah. And of course, yeah, Judy Bloom, the author, children's book author, also has a packed fifth house as well in Aquarius with the sun, Venus, Jupiter, and Mercury. Uh, that Mercury there is really, and, and Jupiter together, really giving emphasis to um, her children's book writings. Nice. But uh, like I said, the fifth house is not all about children. The fifth house is also about pleasure and creativity and how you find those things in your life. In terms of tarot cards, this house uh, reminds me of the Four of Wands. It's very, um, it's all about good times, celebrations, enjoying life. You know, if there is a party house in the chart, it's you know, the fifth house. <laughs> but also when we talk about creativity, I think a lot of people think about creativity as in creativity is in, in, in art forms like music and painting and drawing, but creativity can be so much more than that. Like if you, you know, for, for someone who has like fifth house and air sign, like Judy Bloom, for example, you know, she was a writer, but it can also be having a creative inventive mind, being like somebody who can solve problems and come up with creative ideas and solutions. Like if you have, you know, a very airy fifth house, that might be um, more your wheelhouse. You might not have the artistic side of creativity, but you create maybe different, you know, different ways. This can be 
through hobbies and interests as well, those are signified by the fifth house. Interesting. I could, I could see like a very, like a really innovative programmer or something like that, like falling mm-hmm. into like some, some fifth house, fifth house themes, mm-hmm. just like really creative problem solving. Mm-hmm. Like you might not see it as an art form necessarily, but it definitely requires having like a flexible mind and mm-hmm. thinking outside of the box. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, as far as like careers go, I've seen like fifth house people be um, involved in education, like childhood education, as well as working with uh, children and families like child services and things like that. So yeah, anything relating to children, fun, creativity, sex, pleasure, having, for example, like having the benefics there, maybe you're someone who doesn't want to have children having like do you mind yeah you you talk about mine i don't have much there but i do have jupiter you have jupiter you have the big significant thing (laughs) yeah the big boy the big benefic jupiter and and so having jupiter in the fifth house you have chosen not to have children and so you have this freedom to go and explore and create and do and you know this just really uninhibited jupiter jupiterian energy <laughs> to go and explore and you know get what what were you doing this weekend what was it again oh uh kind of failing to raft down a river <laughs> yeah <laughs> you have the freedom to do that you're uninhibited yeah. you don't have to worry about finding uh, a babysitter you guys can kind of go you have that freedom where you can kind of go and do at the drop of a hat because you don't have the obligation of children. <laughs> yeah. It definitely like, was that um, a big part of the decision as being able to yeah, have that freedom? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it goes further back than that. Cause like me and my mm-hmm. husband have talked about it before. It's just like, yeah. neither one of us can think of a time at any point in our lives where we ever wanted to be parents. Like even as young, even as children, like, you know, like it's normal for children mm-hmm. to like, one, just, like, make assumptions based on what everyone else around you assumes, which is that, oh, you'll get married and have children one day. That's the general baseline assumption for society still, mm-hmm. even though we're slowly starting to change that. Um, yeah. You know, or, like, children play with dolls and, like, pretend like it's their babies and, and things like that. And for as long as I can remember having memories of being alive, I've just never been interested in that. So that was obviously, like, the number one reason we don't have kids. I don't should hopefully never you should not be required to have children if you do not want to but um Mm -hmm. but also like yeah like the freedom to to do other things and to maybe to take uh calculated risks that we wouldn't be comfortable taking if children were relying on us to provide for them you know what i mean like we've Mm -hmm. made interesting career choices that would have been scary or harder to to do if we were worried that we weren't going to be able to provide for children, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that is like a, a big part of uh, our decision-making, particularly like regarding that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the Jupiter, there is always, I don't know, that expansive presence of just like wanting more, wanting to experience more, um, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to, to chase, chase things that I find interesting or curious or beautiful yeah. or whatever feels very fit house fun fun stuff fun stuff (laughs) (laughs) 
so now I guess we'll we'll just move on across the wheel to the eleventh house. And speaking of Jupiter, this is the house where Jupiter has its joy, and traditionally is known as the house of good spirits. Uh, the eleventh house has rulership over friends, friendships, supporters, benefactors, and those that help us directly or behind the scenes. It's the house of beneficial fate, positive um, hope, trust, praise, comfort, goals, ambitions, and having benefic planets in this house can mean you do well in social settings and have an aptitude for connecting to and engaging with other people. Uh, I've seen personally in my practice and readings that people that have the sun or especially the midheaven in the 11th house tend to be uh, really involved in a lot of group activities and group settings and are really good at networking or can just be the life of the party or the kind of the life <laughs> of the friend group. Not having clevence in the 11th house doesn't mean that you have no friends or allies, though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can always look to the ruler of the 11th house and where it's pos positioned in your chart to gain insight. Um, having malefics in the 11th house can bring uh, challenges to friendship. Like Mars, for example, could signify having issues with um, friends, like except. Mars is uh, known for separating, so having maybe friendships that break apart or fall away or separated in some sort of way. Um, and like if Saturn in the 11th house could you know, signify maybe a trouble connecting with others or a ten tendency to be a little bit reclusive. But every chart is different, so it's not like a one-size-fits-all uh, sort of thing. It'll also have to do with, you know, the zodiac sign that occupies the 11th house, the ruler of the house, its placement in the chart. So um, this is just a, just a general overview of the 11th. Interesting. Yeah, that's where my son is. Um, How have you experienced the 11th house in terms of my summary? It's interesting. I, in some ways, I feel like... I'm definitely not usually the life of the party. <laughs> I feel like that would, that would be generous. I have a, a love-hate relationship with parties in general um, as a, a self-identified introvert yeah. or whatever. Well, um, like I was saying, you know, it's you have Aquarius 11th house and yeah, the sun is so, in fall there. So that makes... Yeah. Like I relate a little weirdly. Um, and it's like, you know, like I wouldn't say I'm naturally good at networking or anything like that. But something I, I have noticed is that like when I do have um, good friend groups and things, I I find I tend to, it's like I can't help myself. I end up in like this organizing role where it's like, we're doing a group thing. I've created the Facebook event. I have sent out the reminder messages. I have coordinated like the carpools. Um, I've made sure the Airbnb is booked, <laughs> like that kind of, that kind of thing. Um, you very like, much, All right. Yeah, yeah. You very much play that role in, in our podcasting relationship too. <laughs> it's like, I'll get seven emails. Natasha has scheduled recording for this day, this day, this day, this day, this day. <laughs> and somehow I still, um, don't know when we're recording. I mean, that, yes. that's on me. <laughs> I need to be managed, so it's good that you have that um, 
that organization because I, as a Pisces and Sagittarius, I'm just like all over the place. <laughs> uh, I'm like I halfway got- there. There are definitely, I have a, a couple of very specific relationships I can think of where I am not that person. Um, and it's, and it's, it's so funny. They're both Libras, Libra sons, actually. And whenever I like do stuff with them, it's my sister and my best friend from college. And if I'm planning a trip with them, somehow I'm the one who like can't get their shit together and they're the ones with spreadsheets. But in every other like group or network situation in my life, I'm 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 definitely the person with the spreadsheet. And I do just love connecting people. Like whenever I meet people in different situations, I'm like, oh, you would love this other person. Um I very much enjoy like introducing people to each other whenever I do somehow find myself with a network. But if you like send me to a networking event, I'm incredibly uncomfortable the entire time. I like mingle. Uh. What the <laughs> fuck is mingling? I don't know. <laughs> like you just walk up to somebody and then just start talking at them about something. I don't know Talking how to do about this. the weather. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, no, I get it. I, I found that really interesting that you say Libra is the difference with you is with only with the Libras in your life because the sun in Aquarius is in detriment and then the sun in Libra is in fall. So there's a, that's interesting. That that is very interesting, and it would def, it's definitely something I am going to make a note of and just kind of think on. Yeah, I would have to check like their charts, and I think I do have both of their information actually, but I suspect they both also have like really strong Virgo placements. Um. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. Plus, you know, just relationally, it's like one of them is my sister, and the other one is like one of my oldest best friends <laughs> so yeah. it's it's kind of like I think maybe also a situation of like oh I can like relax with these people and not like stress about feeling like I need to be in control of everything it's like oh I know these people will will fucking like get shit done if, yeah. if I leave it on their plate which sorry sorry friends um <laughs> you can always tell me to pick up the slack and I will um but you know, it's definitely like one of those relationships where it's like, oh, I, I don't have to worry about picking up the slack here because these are some of my most trusted folks, you know, mm-hmm. so that's part of it too. Yeah. I have no planets in the 11th house. My 11th house is Cancer and the moon is in the 4th house. So I have a very small group of friends um, and I always always have it's been kind of kind of that subterranean vibe kind of kind of private person but you keep them all locked in your basement right (laughs) i i I do i do your astrological basement (laughs) yeah yeah i mean so uh, yeah but i have I, i don't have a whole lot of friends but the friends that i do have are close friends and i guess um you know, they, they, I guess I let them into the basement and they, they can see all, all my shit <laughs> down there, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is why I don't have very many friends because I don't trust people. To... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want them to see my boxes of junk. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> oh, anyways. <laughs> uh. All right. Moving on, getting uncomfortable talking about me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're going to end on on the 6th and the 12th houses. So we've went from the house of 
good spirit and good fortune. And now we're going to move on to the houses of bad fortune and bad spirit, the sixth and the twelfth house. Oh. So, yeah, well, you know, it's just, it's like a, there's positive, there's negative, there's day, there's night. You've got to have those dualities. Um, it's just part of life. And so it's also part of the natal charts. So the sixth house is the house of bad fortune and the sixth house is the joy of the planet mars six house topics are uh, related to physical labor service employees illness injury and small animals or pets and the sixth house is one of the more difficult houses in the chart but it's not a it's not necessarily a bad house so having planets here doesn't mean that you're doomed to a life of illness or injury. The sixth house has a lot to do with things that may be unpleasant, but are just part of life. It is part of the trine between the second house of resources and the 10th house of career. So for that reason, that's one of, you see topics around physical labor, service and employees in the sixth house. Uh, People are, so an example, a good sixth house example would be, um, those that work in healthcare often have um, prominent sixth house placements because you know it's about the sixth house is about illness, injury, physical health as well, um, and you know our our physical labor. So it makes sense that having a career in healthcare would be something you would see somebody that has sixth house placements. Interesting. Uh, another one also is because it kind of goes, like I said, it kind of works in that in that um, second, tenth, and sixth house are all in that trine, and they all kind of support each other. Veterinary medicine and animal welfare careers are also synonymous with sixth house placements. The sixth house is basically just how we serve others and how we contribute to the world around us. So that's that's a more positive kind of spin on the the sixth house of course having malevolent planets in the sixth house could in could indicate but doesn't necessarily mean uh, that you could have struggles with health throughout life but not not necessarily like insurmountable this is not a death house so this is um, you know the type of struggles we would have just with a, an illness or injury that we can adapt to and learn to live with and cope with um, can, can be significations of six house placements. Interesting. Yeah. Transits to the sixth house can bring about an illness and injury as well. So it's always, always good to um, keep an eye on those if they're coming through your sixth house. And if you have malefics coming through um, just to be extra careful uh, take good care of your health. If there's anything going on, I, you know, go get it checked out. Don't wait. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, it's not, it's not a, it's not a synonymous house. It's not a house that's synonymous with like, um, you know, death, but it's always better if you've got health things coming up to deal with them before they really get aggravated, like with Mars. Uh, coming through there (laughs) yeah interesting i don't have much in mind 
I have an asteroid and there's a symbol on this chart that isn't showing up in like the just like list of planets and asteroids or whatever. And it looks like a circle with an X in it. And I don't know what that means. <laughs> that is the, where's my brain? That is a lot of fortune. Oh, okay. So that has a lot to do with, um, the lot of fortune is a point that has a lot to do with the physical body and physical health, actually. Interesting. Whereas hmm. the, the other lot is the lot of spirit, which is more more of like your goals, ambitions, your focus. So we haven't really talked a lot about those points, and I've got enough to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had enough to cover with the houses. So <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, we don't need to get into it. I was just curious. I was like, what is this symbol? It's not listed <laughs> Yeah, below the chart. It's just in there. Like, yeah, but okay. it's... We'll wrap it up. Basically, the six houses, like how uh, ways in which we can serve others and contribute to the world as well. Just, uh, I mean, I, I can always use my chart as an example, which is simple. I have Aquarius in the sixth house. I have nice. no planets in the sixth house. The ruler of my sixth house is Saturn in the fourth. And for many years, did animal welfare work, fostering animals in my home, which is the fourth house, and did a lot of that work through my home. Nice. I guess I should talk about a little bit as well why pets are related to the sixth six house, the house of bad fortune, because it seems a little odd, doesn't it? Yeah. Part of me wants to say, like, yeah, that is weird. And the other part of me, like, remembers that my dog shit on the carpet a few weeks ago. And, like, and you cleaned it up, didn't you? <laughs> You cleaned it up um, because yep. it's service. It's uh, so oh. when we have small animals, <laughs> they're reliant upon us. They're reliant upon us for our food, for their for their walks, for their care. Um, so, I mean, like it or not, we serve them. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, the cats were right the whole time. <laughs> they were right the whole time. Uh, <laughs> So that's yeah, so that's funny. why they that's why they belong in the uh, sixth house. Anyways, so uh, let's move on to the twelfth house and the place of bad spirit, the house where Saturn has its joy. And since we were just talking about uh, small animals and pets in the sixth house, um, I guess we'll just jump right into the twelfth house. Signifies large animals and large. Yeah, large animals, your horse, your cattle, your livestock. Hmm. So, And those are because those are the animals that serve us, if that makes sense. Yeah. Horses, you know, horses are used were, were for a long time, not really anymore. They're more used for leisure activities and, and things now. But uh, for a long time, you know, they were the, the main mode of transportation and all the large livestock and animals you know have their purposes as well that they were used for so that's that's why they go there <laughs> <laughs> nice but the uh the 12th house is also called the pre-ascension house like ascendant um and it's the sign that rises preceding the birth it is that for, for that reason it's also synonymous with pregnancy and labor and anything anything happening prior to your birth it is the shadowy place it's hidden 
it's our subconscious, it's our meditative straight, uh, it's sort of a meditative states and dream realms all reside in the 12th house. It's, it's right before the first house, but it's kind of slightly out of grasp because the, self, the 12th house being opposite the 6th, which is a very physical house, the 6th house is physical, uh, the 12th house has to do more with our mental realm. And it is also related to our mental health, depression, anxiety, hospitals, and institutions. I find it to be the most difficult house, and it's kind of designed that, or, or the most difficult house anyways to understand, and, you know, going through all the houses when you get to the 12th, it doesn't have that angular connection to the first house, so it is meant to be a little bit murky, a little bit shadowy, and a little bit harder to understand, because it is our shadows. By looking at the 12th house in your chart uh, and looking at any planets in the 12th house, those can give indications as to topics of mental health or, you know, your shadows as well. If you look at the ruler of the 12th house, if you have no planets in the 12th, look at the ruler of the 12th house and see where that falls in your chart and what house that lies in. It can also give you some insight into some of your shadows, some of your darker, less accessible places. You look like you're in deep thought, Natasha. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm like scrolling around trying to, to make sense of things. My 12th house is a completely empty, not even like a random asteroid or vertex point or anything over there. It's the only one that has like literally zero marks in it. So it's interesting. So I was looking to see where my because Pisces slash Neptune or whatever would be the ruler of my 12th house, I suppose. So I was looking to see where my Neptune was. In traditional astrology, it would be Jupiter. Oh, okay. In the fifth house. Retrograde. Interesting. Now, I have several people in my life that have the sun in the 12th house. And if you're a, a sun in the 12th house person, that gives a little bit different um it, it, it's more of like a shedding of light on the 12th house and people with 12th house suns are actually a lot more aware of their shadows it doesn't necessarily mean that they're more capable of dealing with you know the shadowy <laughs> issues and or <laughs> but they're just more generally aware of of those things the 12th, the 12th can be a difficult place Having placements in the 12th house doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have certain struggles, but we all have our shadows. We all have those kind of repressed things that we don't quite understand that take a little bit more work to move through and kind of suss out. And those are this your 12th house things. 12th house is also because it's the joy of Saturn. It also has to do a lot with solitude and isolation as well so having transits more planets in the 12th house could mean that you're just more of a solitary person or or you are experiencing a time where you just require more solitude more alone time and those types of things as well interesting yeah it's it's a bit of a slippery bitch it, it's it's <laughs> 
it's, it's very different depending on the chart and the planets and the placements. And it's really hard to kind of grasp. And it's, and it's meant to be that way. If you think about it from the perspective of pre-birth and labor, when you're, you know, when the child is in, in a womb, it's still very much present here on earth, but it's not, and you know, it's there because you can, you know, at a certain point, anyways, in a pregnancy, you can tell that a woman's pregnant, um, yeah. <laughs> but you can't actually see the baby. You can't actually can't really interact with it. No, <laughs> <much>. <laughs> no, it's not exactly meant to be on the surface. That it's you know that it's weird. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> the weird things about you—that's the twelfth house. The weird. Um, you can't quite grasp, not really sure where this thing comes from, why you have this issue that you do or this reaction to something that, you know, that's, that's the 12th house. That's the shadowy place. Interesting. I feel like I didn't do as great a job on the 12th house. Um, but you know, <laughs> it's a, it's a tough one. It, it really, it really is. Yeah, it's interesting. I think Joe O'Neill, I think, and her Instagram account is Joe Waymaking, I I think. And like their whole niche in astrology, and I think the thing that they're like most well known for is specifically twelfth house twelfth house stuff. Mm-hmm. Um so that might be an interesting thing to to check out if you're like looking at your chart and you're like, oh my gosh, I have tons of stuff in my twelfth house. That is someone who who talks about it a lot and like specializes in like doing readings specifically around the stuff in your twelfth house, I believe. And that's another thing about knowing knowing the houses. There in astrology there are uh different astrologers that have different niches in particular areas. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, just knowing that um, that kind of thing, and having a little bit more information, and seeking out um, people with more knowledge is always a good thing. Yeah, it's cool. It's really interesting to see, like, because I think you know most people we start out like really broad and then mm-hmm. narrow down into the the niche that we are most passionate about or feel most drawn to. Um, like I said, like Joe O'Neill is someone who talks a lot about the 12th house, Gina Cadlick. I hope I'm saying her name right, uh, is someone I follow on Instagram. And she helped, she was part of the team that helped get the first like Chani app launched or whatever. So she's an astrologer, mm-hmm. but she's also a writer. And so she like she just opened up her books recently for third house specific readings for like writers, you know, for the house of writing yeah. and rituals and like how to like, Mm-hmm. Um, create a writing ritual that is best yeah. suited for you. Uh, Diana Rose Harper talks a lot about Saturn, I think. She's been talking about some other stuff lately, but I think like her first mm-hmm. set of workshops and stuff that like really got her name out there were specifically in like working with Saturn. Uh, yeah, it's just interesting to see what people um, niche down into. Do you have yeah. anything that you feel like you're like being drawn towards 
So my initial um, interest or one of the things that piqued my interest in astrology was synastry. Mm. And that's a relationship between, you know, your chart and another person's chart. A lot of times it can be, or, or a lot of people that look at synastry, look at it from a relationship standpoint, but I just find it interesting in general. And I really find, um, of course, I have a fourth house stellium, so I really find family synastry super interesting. Wow. After learning what I've learned looking at my own family synastry, we have this really interesting thing with uh, Mars and Mars and fire signs, specifically the sign of Leo in my family. That's so. intriguing. It now is. I really, really want you to look at my, my family's chart. <laughs> Just to me, all of your family members' charts. Yeah, I'm like, I please, not... point out the dysfunction. No. Um, <laughs> I'm not an expert in synastry, um, but if I were, if, if I'm going to have a niche, it would probably, that would probably be somewhere that I would start because it, it, I can really go down the rabbit hole with that one. I have, I have a whole Excel sheet with where I've went through and I don't have birth times for everyone in the family, but so I don't have necessarily rising signs, but you can tell for the most part where the, where the planets are in the chart, what signs they're in. And so I have a whole Excel sheet for um, one side of the family where I've went through down the rabbit hole and I've got what placement is, what planet is in. That's fascinating. I've I've mapped it all. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> mapped it all out. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I would love to see like mine and my siblings' synastry. Because I mean, yeah. you know, I love them. I feel like we get along well, at least as adults now. <laughs> yeah, but um, it, it's it's yeah. it is super interesting. There's this thing with me and my brother. The the there's a nine year thing between me, my brother, my daughter, and his son, and it's all like this nine year nine years oh, between wow. me and my brother there's an exactly there's almost exactly nine years between me and my brother and there's almost exactly nine years in between our children oh wow yeah it's and so and there's a lot patterns. of there's a lot of sign similarities and and things so i looked looked at that as as well so family synastry that would probably be my niche yeah i mean yeah it's just like gathering all of that um like experience and information and looking mm-hmm. at lots of different charts to, to feel comfortable being like, yeah, these are patterns I recognize. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Well, I try. <laughs> <laughs> all uh, right. I think we've done it. You wrapped up. That's all 12. That's all 12 of the houses. What an accomplishment. Yeah. yeah. Now I only have to edit this hour and a half episode. and <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. You can, you can just cut out some of my bullshit. Um <laughs> And shorten it down for folks. Uh, so what are we talking about next? I guess we'll we'll um, tell the people, give the people what they want, Natasha. What is what, our next? Oh my gosh, what do the people want? Y'all tell us. <laughs> All right. We'll let the folks go. Um, it has been wonderful once again. And it sure has. We'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. See you later. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Hot Air Diviners. If you enjoy this podcast, it would mean the world to us if you could rate and review the show wherever you listen. By leaving a review, you not only show support for the show, but you also help others discover the podcast. 
if you're interested in more Hot Air Diviners content, you can find us on Instagram and Substack as Hot Air Diviners. If you have a comment or a question you'd like us to answer on the show, you can email us at hotairdiviners at gmail.com. If you want more straight up astrology content, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Fire Moon Astrology or book a reading with me through the link in the show notes. And if you're interested in more tarot, plus whatever else might spark my curiosity, you can find me, Natasha, on Substack and Instagram as The Present Pursuit. Thanks for being here and see you next time. Bye. Bye.